0: Good evening. It's a pleasure to see everybody. Um, if you are David Dixon Jr., you have probably heard this message once before, so I'm I'm sorry, but for everybody else, this will be a fresh message. Um, also, I don't know if I've told this story before, um, at least up here. I've probably told it to people individually. Um, so again, if this is the second time you've heard this story, I'm sorry about that. Also, um, but I like the story, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and share it. Um, but before we get started, why don't we open up in prayer. Father God, we just come before you and we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Father. Um, just the fact that we can come together and to we can come and remember him and all the things that he's done for us, Father. We can come and remember his redemptive work and we can come and, and, and just give praise and glory and honor to you. So we just give you thanks and we just pray right now, Father, that as we open your word, that whatever it is that you want for us to pull out of it, um, that would be so, Father, and I would just pray that anything that, um, should not be said, Father, you'd keep that from me, and that we'd be able just to, um, really learn more about the character of God, so we just give you thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Um, so there's a few things in life that I really don't like, um, if you were to ask David Dixon, Jr., again, he could probably give you a list of 30 or 40 foods that I don't like, um, and now it's just becoming a running joke, um, but there's other things in life that I really don't like, and one of the things that I absolutely don't like, I abhor. Um, I wish it never existed. Um, it's probably to me, it's probably worse than Al Qaeda. Um, it's soccer. Like, like, I just, I just don't like soccer. I just think it's a terrible sport. I think it's boring. It's low scoring. Um, the players look like they get tackled by ghosts all the time. Like I just, I just, it's just a bad sport. And I wish that. A, I wish we could get rid of it. Apparently, it's the, the world's number one sport, but whatever, I don't particularly care. But say, uh, saying that, the one thing that I do do is every four years, when the World Cup comes on, I do watch it, but the reason I watch is because I believe my American patriotism is stronger than my hate for soccer, and so I'll usually watch the, the two or three games that America plays before they get kicked out. So I don't, it's not a lot of soccer, and. Uh, it's not, and maybe that's why I don't like it, because we were always losing. Um, but anyways, when I was a kid, I must have been about 12, around that age. I can't, I can't track down, can't track the last time the World Cup was when I was a kid. I remember um, my mom, my mom and dad were watching it, and, uh, and my parents, when they would watch soccer, they would actually watch more of the the Mexican soccer. So they'd watch the Chivas um, and those team play, and and because of the way that they play, my parents would watch soccer at one in the morning. 5 in the morning, 11 in the morning. Like, whenever the game was, because I guess the teams were, were traveling internationally, they would stay up and they would watch those Mexican soccer games. So then when the World Cup came, and, you know, at that age, because I didn't know any better, I asked, I asked my mom, well, if it ever came down to America and Mexico in the finals, which I know now is impossible, um, but if it ever were, who would you, who would you root for? You know? And uh, without skipping a beat, my mom was like, well, America... Of course. And I go, oh, that's interesting. I'm like, well, why why is that? And she goes, well, America is the country where I am from now. You know, Uh, my mom came to this country when she was around 18. um, And after some time, she she eventually became a naturalized citizen. So when I posed that question to her, it was no doubt in her mind that in this, you know, global sport and um, where everyone has an allegiance, she said her allegiance is to the country that she's from now. So at the end of the day, she would pick America if it came down to it. That will never happen. But in this whimsical, whimsical what-if question that I posed her, that was her answer. And I thought that was pretty interesting that she was able to answer that. And she didn't even think about it. It was, it was one of those quick, like, oh, America. Like, she didn't even stop and pause. Like, I figured I actually thought she'd say Mexico just because the fact is they watch Mexican soccer all the time. Like, I've never seen her watch an American game, an MLS, MLS game. Like she, but according to her, she would do America. Um, so today we're going to go over a passage. We're going to go to Philippians chapter three. Um, we'll be in Philippians chapter three. Um, I believe we'll be starting in verse 15. Um, and because of the way that the chapter is kind of written, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to give you guys the breakdown of what I hope to accomplish tonight. That way we don't get lost because I usually get lost when I read this chapter. Um, so if this were to have a title, if this were to be one main point that I want everyone to take away, it would be this. It would be, um... What does a citizenship in heaven entail for a believer? Um, And so that would be the main thought, and we're going to go through some of the things, but just to, you know, if you want to write it down that way, you can kind of look for these things, because in case, again, if I get lost, then you guys have already know what I'm supposed to say. Um, We're going to be looking at a couple of things, and the the couple of things that we're going to be looking at is um, seeking help from God and being of one mind, A, B, um, imitating Paul, imitating Christ, imitating others. And then C, which is, I think, at the end of the chapter, and the end of what we're going to be talking about, is, again, Paul then brings up this idea of citizenship. And what I hope to take away is what does that entail for a believer and how to, what does that look like? Um, so we're going to go ahead. I'll be reading out of the ESV. Some of my notes I actually took in the in the New King James Version. So if I switch between the two, forgive me. Um, but let's go ahead. Let's start reading. And we'll start in verse 15 for tonight. Uh, so Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. It says, let those of us who are mature think this way, and in anything you do otherwise, God will reveal to, will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Um, brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. Uh, and then what will be the culmination of this. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorified body by the power that enables him to, uh, even to subject all things to himself. Um, and so we'll start in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Um, just to gain a little bit more clarity on the, on the, on the chapter, while purposely I chose 15 to start, um, let's go back and if we, in the same chapter, if we want to go ahead and start uh, in verse 7. The beginning of the chapter, Paul is talking about um, he has reasons to be confident in the flesh, and he gives a bunch of um, qualifications. And in the end, he culminates by saying, verse 7, chapter 3, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the, from the dead. Um, and then he goes on and talks about striving towards, the, stri- striving towards that. So in verse 15, we see, let those who are mature think this way. And so here, Paul is, is he's referring back to the beginning of the chapter and this idea that his righteousness is not his own, but his righteousness is found in Christ Jesus. And so Paul, we, uh, if we know the history of Paul, we know um, what he did and what his qualifications were. And he was able to say, if anybody was able to boast about being a good, you know, zealous man, it would have been me. And he said, and I threw that away because in the eyes of Christ, that was pointless. Because my righteousness doesn't do anything. And he's saying, the righteousness of Christ, which I now identify with, that's what I focus on. So now when he gets to verse 15 and he says, let those of us who are mature think this way, that's what he's trying to bring out, that idea that Christ is the one who brings righteousness. Um, and so we, we, we see this idea of, of being mature. Um, the actual Greek word is sometimes translated to the word uh, perfect. And so I know what you're saying. The first thing you're going to tell me is, well, Sam, nobody's perfect. And I would say, you're absolutely right. Um, but here when we look at this word uh, perfect, um, what we see is, and I think, you know, usually we, we attribute the word perfect to something like that God is perfect, Christ is perfect, that what they've done is perfect. Something that is, you know, we could never achieve, at least not here on this earth. But the word perfect here is more of a, a word that means complete. It's a word that means final. So when he's saying um, those of us mature think this way, or those of us that are perfect think this way. He's saying those of us who are not lacking think this way, and the reason that they're not lacking is because we're attributing to God. And so, even though we are not perfect, we should not be lacking because we should be having. We should be pulling everything from the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, if you were to turn to Matthew chapter five, you don't have to turn that right now. Um, but if you were to look back at Matthew chapter five, that's the beatitudes. Uh, and in, in, in verse 48, it says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So even Christ himself would use that idea of being perfect. And we would also say the same thing. Well, no one's perfect. And so Christ is more pointing out, well, let someone who is complete, somebody who's not lacking, somebody who attributes themselves to the righteousness of God, let him be this way. And so even though we are not perfect, obviously we're still striving to be perfect, and we're striving to get to this point of total dependency on the Lord Jesus Christ, our, our righteousness, everything that we, you know, would say we have, we should be pulling it from the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so again, when we, we look earlier in the chapter 3 in Philippians, we see that we're striving towards a goal. So the reason that Paul is saying we're striving towards a goal is because it's a continuous action. You know, we till the day that we die, we continue to Grow. We continue to mature. We continue to become more complete in what the Lord is asking us. And here Paul is saying, "Well, those of us who are of one mind, those of us who are perfect, we're going to think this way." And at least this point in the chapter, he's talking about Jesus Christ as the righteousness. Um, and so it, it, it says, "Otherwise, if anyone thinks otherwise, then Christ will reveal, reveal that to you also." And so there's kind of this distinction too that um, if you don't think this way, you know, Christ needs to reveal that to you. He needs to let you know that. Um, and, you know, if, if, you don't feel, if you don't know that way or if you don't feel that mindset or if you don't believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that brings righteousness, then there's, there's what we would call, you know, there's, there's a disjunction. You know, all of a sudden now we're not on the same team. We're not of the same mind. Um, and it's interesting because um, I, always, I always feel like uh, when the boys, um, either from the high school, middle school group, or the boys at boys camp, or the boys at any of the camps, or whenever somebody asks me a question, it's usually, and it's usually like, a, like a, somebody in the middle school or in high school, you know, they always ask you questions about, you know, like, what am I, you know, am I allowed to do this? Am I allowed to say this word? Am I allowed to act this way to this person? Am I, if I have a girlfriend, can I do this? You know, and they always have these, these questions because they want to know, right? They're, they're looking at me, or they're looking at another person, or looking at another leader, and they're saying, well, I know this person is a, is a Christian, and I know that, they, that I identify as a Christian, so if, you know, if they identify as a Christian, I identify as a Christian, then I should look towards their answer because we should probably have the same answer. And so I always feel that that's why a lot of kids that age are always asking questions because they want to. Even myself, you know, whenever I go through the scriptures and I find something that I don't understand, I always find myself seeking a, a more mature, maybe an older Christian, and I pose that question to them. You know, this passage says this. I don't understand it. What do you think it means? And at the end of the day, I'm almost kind of trying to say, like, well, I don't know what it says, but I think you should know what it says. Um, so can you tell me what it says so that I can go back, look at it, and see if I see the same thing? You know, and so this is the idea of being of one mind. Um, and the Lord has left clear instructions. You know, in this portion, we've been, we may be talking about the righteousness of, of Jesus Christ and our identity in him. But, you know, the, the Lord has also left clear instructions for other things. The same thing whenever the, these boys or these, you know, other, other kids ask me these questions. Um, you know, usually they ask me questions about their future. Well, should I go to this college? Um, should I talk to these people? Should I be friends with, with these set of individuals? And they always have these questions, and I'm like, well, you know, we, we, you need to find out what the Lord wants you to do. And I think that at their age, and even at my age, and I'm sure there's plenty of people here that are older than me that probably go through this too, sometimes I'm wondering, well, what does God want me to do? Like, how do I know that God wants me to do this specific action? You know, and I think, uh, a, lot of, I think a lot of Christians are paralyzed with that fear That if they don't do what God has asked them to do, then they're going to do something wrong or they're going to sin or they're going to go down the wrong door. And I feel like sometimes, I I know for myself personally, um, we get paralyzed and we go, well, I don't want to make a decision because if I make the wrong decision, then something's going to happen. And then I try to remind the boys, and it's something that I try to remind myself, is that the Lord has already left clear instructions about how we should engage on a day-to-day basis. You know, we look at the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. We look at um, what he told his disciples in John chapter 14 about loving him and keeping his commandments, about loving one another, uh, about asking in the name of God and, and he will be doing these things. And so the Lord has already left clear instructions, even in the way that we're supposed to, you know, pray and fast and the way that we're supposed to help each other and in, in the way that um, the epistles are written to, to do church functions. The Lord has left clear instructions for a number of things. And the one thing I always tell the boys is, look, If you don't know what you're supposed to do about this one specific thing, just focus on the stuff that you already know you're supposed to do and then just, you know, wait on the Lord to to reveal everything else. But don't get paralyzed and not doing anything. Um, But anyways, so those of us are in one mindset. um, Verse 16, and only let us hold true to what we have obtained. And so this idea of holding true, it's this idea of conforming, it's this this idea of um, cementing yourself to something um, that you believe in. And so... This might have been a little bit more um, p- pointed towards uh, the people at the time. Um, we know that the, the the city of Philippi is named after Philip II, the father of Alexander, and then when the Romans come in and take over the, the take over after Alexander, they come in, and most of the Roman Empire, when they would come in, they would put in their puppet leaders, uh, but they would leave most of the places autonomous, so they were able to, to do their own things. Have their own set of sublaws. You know, they had to ha- they had to follow the Roman laws, but they were able to do things the way that they used to do. And at the end of the day, they just had to make sure they pay a tax to Caesar, and then everything was on the on the up and up. And so, uh, many people believe that because of the location of Philippi, where it was located, um, after the Roman after the Roman conquest, and once things started dying down, or maybe once some people started growing out of the age of combat, um, the city of Philippi might have become more of like a like a VA city. So there's probably a lot of Romans, uh, Roman soldiers there. There's probably a lot of people there that grew up in some sort of Roman conquest. So for them, this idea of conforming would have been the same idea that they would have probably been trained in in becoming a Roman um, a Roman guard. And so this idea of, of, of holding to conforming is this idea of reaffirmation, um, practicing this idea of, of doing something repetitively in order for you to become better at it. So when Paul is saying we got to hold you to what we have obtained. He's kind of invoking this idea of, like, you guys know what it's like to do repetitive motions and to follow orders and to keep going, and I want you guys to continue to do the same thing, but in spiritual matters, in what we hold to be true for for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And so, so, again, it goes back to this idea, if you don't know what the Lord wants you to do, we already know what the Lord has asked us to do, so we should continue to do those things. There's this, um, there's this phrase um, that I see, and I normally see it with, um, with uh, more military-focused um, postings, and I see, it, I see it a lot online. Um, but there's this idea that if you're going through hell, just keep going. And so there's this idea that even though you're going through a point in your life, or even if you don't know what you're supposed to do, or even if there's no clarity, if you're going through hell, right? Some people are going through some of the, the worst things that they've ever imagined, um, there's this phrase that, the, that I, I, like I said, I mostly see it in, in, military, in military aspects if you're going through hell, well, just keep going. Like, you wouldn't stay, right? you got to keep going, and it's kind of to push each other to keep moving forward. And so this idea of holding, conforming to this thing is, you already know what you're supposed to do, so just keep doing it, you know? And it becomes easier. And I think I've mentioned it in a lot of my messages is sometimes you know, we do these things over and over again in order for it to become something that we know how to do, or it's something that we become that we love to do, or it's something that we become that we can do it better or teach others how to do it. And so this idea of holding true is you're trying to get better at what we're holding true to. You're trying to get better about what we're trying to accomplish. And whether that's personally, um, for your own spiritual life, whether that's corporately as a a church, you just want to keep getting better. We want to keep getting mature. We want to keep becoming more perfect, more complete uh, in order for us to to, to, you know, bring more glory to God and to, and to grow closer to God and to do the things that we're, we're asked to do. Um, verse 17, um, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Um, this, this idea for imitating, um, the word actually means be a fellow imitator like me. And so while it might seem a little bit pompous that Paul is saying, well, be like me, um, what he's really saying is, I'm already being like Christ, or I'm already trying to be like Christ, so join me in trying to be more like Christ. And so what he's saying is, I'm trying to point you to another direction, but if you need an example, if you, need, if you don't know what you're supposed to do, like I said, the boys come and they ask questions, I'm like, look, like, and I know David does this a lot too, is he tells boys, hey, read the, read the autobiography of this specific spiritual leader. You know, read the autobiography of this person so that you can kind of see what this person went through in their life and you can see their, their thought process and why they thought the way that they thought and how they used um, the Lord to do things in their lives to change them. And Paul's kind of saying the same thing. Look, if you don't know what you're supposed to do, well, imitate us. You know, and again, if this is supposed to be um, a city full of, of, of military people, this would have bring more true for them also. This idea of being an imitator, of being told by somebody else how I should act. Um, when, uh, w- when we went to Thanksgiving, uh, Clarissa's father, he went on a tiger cruise, and I guess that's when you jump on a Navy ship and you go with them on the passage from, and I think he went from San Francisco to San Diego, and he said it blew his mind how everybody's working in unison, and he talks about how, you know, there's probably 20 people um, in a chain of command, you know, from the captain, admiral, whoever the top guy is, to whatever the lowest guy is, And every step of the way, everybody knows what they're supposed to do, and everybody knows that they got to talk to the next person up, and that's it, and that person will talk to the next person, that person will talk to the next person, and eventually it'll get to the person that it needs to be, and then the information will be relayed there and relayed back. And so for them, they have a set process, they know what they're supposed to do, and if they don't know what to do, they know, I got I to reach out to my next, my, my next superior, and his superior will reach out to the next superior. And so they have a chain of command. And so there's this idea of, of you, just, you just keep going up the line, and you just imitate the person you're supposed to be. If there's five of you doing the same job, you look at what they're doing, and if you're, doing, if you're not doing what they're doing, then you better change and start doing what they're doing, because you're all supposed to be doing the same job. And so he was really blown away by the, the way that there's probably 400 people on this ship, and they're all acting in accordance, and they're all doing the same thing. And he talks about how um, they were on one of the—I don't remember if it was a um, one of the big ones where they keep all the airpins. I don't remember the words. He, he, he was telling us all the words, but they had to—they to, had to essentially par- parallel park this ship in in the in the San Diego Harbor. And uh, he said it was like the it was like the equivalent of trying to parallel park between a, one car one car space. And so there has to be a chain of command of people from the admiral. To then now the, the, the harbor master and the people in the harbor who work for the city of San Diego, and being able to tell each other, look, you got you got to bank at 45 degrees, you got to come in at this speed, you got to come in at this angle, you got to slow down. Now you have to pay, you have to reverse, and so all of a sudden there's probably 20 people trying to trying to change commands in order to fit this gigantic ship into such a small spot. And he said they did it flawlessly, you know, and that's because they'll tell you it's practice. And you, you do your job, and you let the person above you do their job, and you let everybody else do the job because everybody knows what they're supposed to do. And if they don't know, then they better figure it out, or else they're going to be they'll pretty much be kicked out of the out of the Navy. And so there's this is the idea of of imitation, this idea of, of being imitators of God, um, uh, imitators of Christ. I mean, even Paul himself in uh, in First uh, Corinthians 11 talks about imitating me just as I also imitate Christ. Um, and I think even in Ephesians 5 it talks about being imitators of God, walking in love. So this is like this idea of we know things we can look forward to, so if we know we're supposed to be of that one mind, we know we're supposed to think this way, we know we're supposed to try to strive toward this idea of totality, perfection, completeness, and if you don't know, well, okay, we'll join in imitating these people so that you can learn how to do so, or you can figure that out. Um, and so again, this, um, it's, 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 uh, it's human nature, I think, I, I see it all the time, I think it's human nature that nobody, nobody wants to be alone, right? There's this idea that, that we as a society don't want to be lonely, and so we seek communities. Um, and, so, and so I think that even, even maybe Paul might be playing on this idea of, you know, if you don't know what you're supposed to do, you're going to look for a, a group of people to cling to, and then you're going to act just like them so that you can be, be a part of that, of that community. And, and we see it, I think we see it a lot today um, in the way that we interact as a society. Um, there's, this, there's this video... It's actually a pretty good video. If you want, I'll I'll send you a link. It's really funny. Um, But essentially, it's three families on Christmas, and they're all discussing the same topic. But because each family, what we would call, is in its own bubble, so there's one family from San Francisco, and in the video, they are a little more left-leaning, and the group of the family is very diverse, and they're a very very San Francisco-looking family. And then the second family is a family from um, North Carolina, and it's your typical Judeo-Christian you know, white family. Everybody's at Christmas dinner with their vests on. Uh, and then there's a black family from Georgia. And they're all talking about the same topic, the impeachment, right? And that's such a, that's such a, a, a big topic in, in today's society. And the, the, the family from San Francisco is like, can you believe it, they finally impeached Trump. And they're like celebrating, like, this is the greatest thing ever. You know, finally, we're gonna make some change. And then it switches to the family in North Carolina. I'm like, can you believe it, they impeached Trump. And they're like, man, they're breaking the constitution, and their and they're, their family's going off on how that's the worst thing on the planet, and then it goes to the to the to the the black family in, in Georgia, and they're like, can you believe it? Three black quarterbacks defeated Tom Brady this year in, in the in the NFL, and so essentially they're all they're showing you how this is, is just you can take one topic. And people are going to think about it in different ways, right? And so if you're more left-leaning, you would probably cling to left-leaning people and, and hang out with them. And we see that all the time online, I think, when you're on Facebook or, you know, if you ever look at a story, it'll be the same story posted by the same person, but when, you know, CNN shares it, if you look at the comments, everyone's like, they, they, they all talk in a certain way and they all have an, the same opinion and they all have the same idea because they all they all kind of group together. And I think that was one of the things that they... Found out as a society this year is what they call our echo chambers, right? So you go to places where you only want to hear your ideas because you, that's all you want to hear. And so if you were to go to like a CNN post, same story, uh, but if you look at the comments, everybody talks the same way and they have the same ideas and they're, they're hoping for the same results. And if Fox News were to put that same story, same authors, same words, you look at those comments and it's the total opposite of what the CNN comments are, but everybody has the same comments and they're all talking the same way. And I think as a society, we, we tend to we tend to gravitate towards the areas that we're more comfortable with um, because that's what we want to hear, right? We wanna hear other people. And so here Paul is saying, well, if you wanna, if you wanna if you wanna be of one mind, if you wanna be mature, if you wanna be complete, then join in imitating us and come and join this specific group of people in this family. And so I think he's kind of reiterating that process of, you know, we need to be of one mind. And I think that's the same thing when we talk about doing things as an assembly. Um, the way that the elders get together and they they, they talk about certain things. And the idea is we're all trying to be of one mind so that when something, if something comes up or a question is raised or something happens, then we we already know what the general consensus is, is, what we should do in that process. And even so, more for um, just people that are in the assembly to then we ask our elders, or we ask other people in leadership, or even we ask the other, pe- the other, the other people at our assembly, and we're all trying to understand, well, you know, what do we think about certain topics, and how do we think we should address these things? And Paul is saying, when you get to that point where you're all kind of melded together, your guys are moving like a well-oiled machine, you know, and you can keep moving forward. And instead of being bogged down by, you know, things that might be easy to overcome, you can continue to get better, you can continue to mature, you can continue to move in a way that you're supposed to move in order for you to, again, get to the point, which is that eventually we want to get to the point of being almost like the Lord Jesus Christ up until when we, finally, when we all finally pass into heaven and we actually finally achieve that, what that, that we're supposed to be. Um, but verse 18, For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, um, and here Paul is kind of giving now the side, you know, a, another example of people who, who are now adversaries. And, you know, you kind of see how much Paul cares for other people in which he calls these people enemies, and yet he still says with tears, so even in the word is weeping, so even, even though they are enemies of God, even though they're people that are far off from God, even though they're people that are contrary to God, you know, he's still moved to a way where he feels pity, he feels sadness, he feels sorrow that they have to be that way. Um, and I think that's a good reminder for us as as believers. Again, like I said, we we tend to cling to the to groups of people that were, you know, we 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 think like or we talk like or we act like. Um, but the thing is, do we, do, we do so do we, do we do that too much in the way that then we then forget about the people that are not like us I mean if the whole point of us being here on this earth is to spread the spread the gospel and and, and, and show people the kingdom of God you know do we act in a way that, that does that and here Paul is showing that even though people are far from God they're enemies of God he still feels compassion and sorrow for them you know to me it's reminiscent of when a when Christ is, he looks at the people and he tells that he feels compassion for them because they were distressed. And, you know, do we do we tend to feel that way towards other people who are not part of this group that we are part of in this group of what we would call the church? And so, and so, but the, again, Paul is reiterating, well, if you and I were trying to be of one mind, if we're trying to be perfect, if we're trying to think in the same way, if we're trying to imitate each other so that we're all on the same page, then... By definition, that must mean that the people who don't do that or the people that don't want to be in this group or the people that don't act in the way that we should as a group, if they're not doing that, well, then they're, they're probably enemies, you know? And, and you, we see that. We see that language throughout the scriptures when we, you know, when, when Paul's writing to the, to, the, to the Romans telling the people that they were that they're dead in their transgressions that they're enemies of God. You know, when we read through the different epistles, you know, Paul, Paul states things in a way that's like, look, if you are not a believer, if you are not somebody that has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are not a disciple, if you're not somebody that, that is attributed to what we are as Christians, well, then you're dead or you're an enemy. And he makes that distinction. There is no, there's nobody in the middle. You know, there's no almost Christians. There are no almost, you know, I'm almost a believer and I'm, I'm halfway there. It's There's really just two camps, you know, you're either a believer, and you're trying to be of one mind and trying to join this group, or you're not. And in some cases, when you're not, you end up just being an enemy of God because you're not doing what he wants you to do. To think, you're, to think of anything outside of what we know to be salvation, right, the, 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 the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, the power that he had, and the fact that it's only him that brings us salvation, if you think otherwise, you know, you're an enemy. And if you think otherwise, then you're not of one mind. And this, and this, this, this whole dissertation that Paul is trying to bring out, you're not part of that, because you don't believe in the fundamentals, in which is that Jesus Christ is the one that brings us righteousness. And Paul kind of wants to make he wants to make that the distinction clear, I believe. Um, and so, verse 19: Their end is destruction. Uh, their God is their belly. They glory in their shame, and and with their minds and their minds are set on earthly things. And here, um, it's interesting, the, the, their end is destruction. The word end, um, at least in the language, is like the end. So if you were to think of eternally the end, and then when he now brings in destruction, and we think of destruction here, the, the word is, it's it stopped, it's over, it's decimated. So it's almost saying like, it's saying double, like it's the end and it's destroyed. And so he's saying that their end, so those people that are, that are enemies of God, those people that are not of this one mind, that I don't believe, their end is destruction. You know, and he goes in, and even makes this comparison to their God is their belly. So, their, this idea of, of their desires and their whims is just idolatry. They look for the things that make them happy. They make they look for the things that please them, um, and that to them, and Paul's saying that's that's idolatry. You know, and they glory in their shame, and and their minds are set on earthly things. And you know, it's one of those things where you know, if you're not part of the of the family of God, if you're not a believer. That everything that you are striving towards outside of Christ, it's all for nothing. You know, and at the beginning of this chapter, Paul is saying that everything I had, I counted it as rubbish. You know, everything that I everything that I did, everything that I owned, anything that could have been attributed to me as a positive thing, because it was outside of Christ, it's trash, is what he's saying. And here he's reiterating that here, that anything outside of Christ and his righteousness, anything done out of that, out of that. Notion is, is, is just it's shameful. It's idolatry. It's, it's something that's that, that not even worth anything. And he's trying to make that clear. Um, you know, when he says earthly things, when we think of earthly things, you know, I think typically we think of like monetary gain and riches, but I think what well, Paul's trying to say, it's stuff that's perishable. You know, one day, you know, if the Lord doesn't come back, we're all eventually going to die. You know, and everything that we, we own and have and, 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 and you know, own, it's just going to stay here. You know, and uh, and uh, you know, people talk about well, you know, I try to, I try to, you know, have a good inheritance so I can I can leave stuff for my family. And it's like well, eventually, you know, your family's going to die out too, and the stuff that you left behind it's either going to be used up, spent, or it's going to be lost, you know, or it's going to be it's going to be lost forever. And so this idea of earthly things, it's 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 stuff that is just eventually it's going to pass away. It doesn't go with us when when we when we die. And Paul's trying to make that that distinction. So now verse 20, and so this would be what I would think is the at least what I'm trying to pull from this portion. Um, the main part, the main parts. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, like I mentioned before, um, this city would have been under Roman rule, and so for the Romans there, this idea of citizenship, it would have meant something to them. And I think it means something to us now as a society today also. Um, So back then, um, the Romans had a set of rights that if you were a Roman citizen in a Roman area, you were able to do things Differently than other people who were not Roman citizens who were in the same area. So you have the right to own land, you had the right to vote, you had the right to, and Paul does this, you have the right to 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 demand a trial, you know, in order to, to, have fair, to have a fair a fair trial. And so when you think of this idea of citizenship, people are invoking this idea of of benefits that they receive by being a citizen of this area. But here Paul is making the distinction. Well, now, you're thinking of a Roman citizenship or you guys are used to being Roman citizens or right now you guys probably think you guys are the best Roman citizens on this planet. He goes, but if you're a believer or if you're someone of one mind, your citizenship is in heaven. You know, and and we think of, for us as believers, well, what is a citizenship in heaven? What are the benefits of that? You know, and off the bat, we can think of eternal life. You know, we think of the Lord Jesus Christ telling us that he goes to prepare a place for us. You know, the scriptures talk about how... um, we become the, the, the adoptive sons and daughters of, of, of God, that we are given an inheritance in heaven. So there's all these things that we as a believer, that when you come to that, that saving knowledge, well, now you get to have that benefit of being a citizen of, that, of, of, of heaven, and you, we get to draw on those things. Now, the thing is, too, there, comes, there also comes responsibilities, with being a citizen so for the Romans they would have had to pay taxes they would have had to obey the laws uh, I still man David I'm using you tonight all the time because you're the only person here that I remember stuff from um but you know David David has that 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 example of uh the California penal code or I don't know if it was the California penal code or the traffic penal code but a book that's super super full and every day when you drive you know police officers are potentially looking for you to break one of these you know one of the rules in this thing and the, the, the book is huge and even even David says that uh that's not even the totality of the, of the laws. And so we, as, even as American citizens, right, we, we, we say that we, are, um, we get to benefit a free land, we get to benefit from um, the Constitution, we get to benefit from the Bill of Rights. We say that you know I have, the, I have the right to free speech, and I have the right to bear arms, and I have the right to religion, and all these things. And as, as, U, as US citizens, we, we claim that all the time. Um, And then uh, sometimes we try not to think about other things we have to do as U.S. citizens like, you know, have to pay taxes, income taxes, or have to go to jury duty or something. Um, But there's both sides of those coins come from citizenship. There are the benefits of uh, citizenship, and then there are the responsibilities of citizenship. Um, And so if we have a heavenly citizenship then it seems to follow that there's probably the same type of dynamic, that we have the benefits of a heavenly citizenship, but now we also have the responsibilities of a heavenly citizenship as well. And I think that ties into, again, you know, the things that the Lord Jesus Christ, the things that that the, the writers of the epistles, that they have already given us a set of instructions on how we should act and what we're supposed to do. Well, now we know that we're supposed to pray for those who persecute us we know that we're supposed to love our enemies, you know, we're supposed to love our neighbor, we're supposed to obey the commandments, we're supposed to be, live a holy life, we're supposed to exercise our spiritual gifts. Or, 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 so now we have all these set of things that there are, we've been asked to do as believers, and that's because those are the, the, the responsibilities that we have as being citizens of heaven. And so here in verse, in verse 20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And so again, the word is in the Greek, it means it has its existence, which means that even though you and I are not physically in heaven right now, our citizenship is already in play. We are already citizens of heaven. And if we are already citizens of heaven, but we are here on this earth, then that tends to make us remind ourselves that then we are just resident aliens in this land. You know, we we are citizens of heaven, but right now we're currently in the United States. We're currently in Claremont, California, um and so we know that we're not we're not from here right and we always think of you know we're not of this world um and so one of the things that I, I kind of want to bring up or I kind of want to for me again this is this is something that I need to remind myself of and I just I I love to share it with you guys is um is it obvious you know um when we go to Yosemite um we go and we hang out and you know when we're in the village I'm always reminded of, I always forget that Yosemite is, you know, like we always think of the things in California as things that Californian people do, but like Yosemite is such a big national park that people from all over the world are coming. And so all of a sudden I'll be standing in line in the village for ice cream or something, and I think the person in front of me is just some normal random person from somewhere in California, and then they open their mouth and they're speaking like German, you know, or they're speaking some other European language, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, you know, because um, you know, because... All white people look the same to me, I figured he was just some white guy from 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 he was just some white guy from from, from Southern California. But because he looks, he looks the part, right? He looks normal, has normal hair, normal teeth, normal everything. But when he opened his mouth, I was like, oh sh- shoot, this guy's European. You know, and he's talking to his family, and they're all European, and I guess they're here on their on their family summer vacation. Um, but the moment he opened his mouth, I already knew, I'm like, oh, he's not from here. You know, that makes sense. And so if we, as citizens of heaven on earth, when we go out and we're, you know, people maybe look at us and they go, oh, you know, those guys are probably from the area. But when we open our mouths, do they make that same distinction? Like, oh, you know, that guy's not from here. You know, that guy's talking about the Bible. That guy's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The guy, You know, or even, even just in our demeanor. You know, like, oh, man, that guy's so nice, or he let, you know, he, he acted kindly towards that person, or he let that person go. Like, everything that we do when we open our mouths, do people make that same distinction? You know, and I think we do it, we do it, you know, we do it, you know, without thinking. Um, when we went to, and I don't know if I should share the story. When we went to, when we went to Yellowstone this summer, um, we went during the summer, and so Yellowstone was pretty packed. Um, so every time we went to an, att- oh, are they called attractions, whenever you went to a, a, a specific thing in Yellowstone, so one of the prismatic pools or a waterfall or a geyser, um, every time we went somewhere, there was a lot of people, and so sometimes we'd be waiting in lines of cars trying to get into a spot, and for some reason, you know, they only have like 20 parking spots for this thing that's going to have like 100 people today. Um, and so we're waiting in line, and then um, I remember we got to a point where we were waiting in line, and then this bus showed up. and uh, you can immediately tell where this bus was from um, yeah you know, i see you already know like i don't have to i don't have to tell you what it is you already know it's, it's a group of people from another country and we sometimes negatively instinctively say like oh, like dang you know like these people sometimes are rude these people don't they don't speak english so they don't read the english signs about how you're supposed to act you know when we when we walked around to some of the prismatic pools or some of the some of the other geothermal Things there are signs that say literally, if you step off this boardwalk, you're gonna die. Like you're gonna fall through the earth. Like it has a picture of a little boy falling through the earth, you know. And so there's groups of people who, because they don't speak English, you know, they actually started making these signs in different languages now. Um, and so when I got there, there were like four signs in four different languages. And there's so you see this group of people, and all of a sudden they're they're like trying to like lean over the side of the of the boardwalk, or like somebody dropped their hat and they're like, oh, I'm just gonna try to pick up my hat from this geothermal pool. Uh, and you know, and it's just, and, and you start, you start freaking out. because like, man, you're not you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Like, don't you can't you see the sign? Like, can't you? And you know, and I think that we instinctively sometimes put people in bubbles that we shouldn't put them into, um, you know. And so now we as believers, do people think of us that way as well? You know, and and so and so one of the things that I think that people complain about Christians all the time is, well, they're they're just hypocrites, you know, or they don't want to do something that they're supposed to do, or they're hateful, you know, or they're spiteful, and and, and there's all these negative things that come into play. And so, you know, when people look at us and they know where, and let's say they know where our citizenship lies, right? Maybe we tell, maybe we, we let people know, well, I'm a believer and I do these things and I go to church on Sunday and I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is my savior. And so we make that known that we're a, a citizen of heaven. You know, do people then have negative opinions about us because we don't act in a certain way that they think we should act or they don't act the way that they know we should act? Because I think a lot of people know that what the Bible entails and how we're supposed to act as as believers. And so, there's this idea, again, of citizenship. So, if people look at us, can they tell where our citizenship lies? And if they can tell, do they get a negative reaction or a positive reaction when looking at us, just like we do all the time when we see people from other countries? Um, So, and so, there's this idea, um, and from it, we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And I think Paul put that in there for a reason, mostly because, you know, during this time period, the, the Caesars, so like Julius Caesar and different kinds, they would, they would be given the title of, the title of Savior. Um, and I think Paul's kind of trying to fight that, fight that, fight that distinction. And I think even the, the Christians at the time were persecuted because they refused to call the Caesar Lord. They refused to call the Caesar the, the, Caesar the Savior. And so Paul is reminding us again, you know, we are of one mindset. We are of one citizenship because we have one king, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And so 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And so, you know, I always think about um, the power that the Lord Jesus Christ has that even talks about, you know, transforming our lowly body. Like I think of myself and, you know, because of my parents, I'm predisposed to, you know, I have bad eyesight, so I have contact lenses. Um, I'm predisposed to diabetes, if I were to go that way. I'm predisposed to um, hypertension attacks because that's what that's what you know my family grew up to and so i can i can already know like oh man like i'm if i don't take care of myself which i'm not um <laughs> i'm going to i'm going down a bad path physically and i think that you know paul is reminding us that even though we're kind of stuck in this here terrestrial ball we're stuck in this terrestrial bodies um he's reminding us that because of who we believe in who our king is who we adhere to that eventually that's not going to matter because we'll be transformed to something that we couldn't even imagine um you might have heard this story in the summer. I think, I think this story happened this summer. There was, um, there, was a, there was a woman, her name was Amber Geiger. Um, she drove home after working a 13 and a half hour shift. Um, she went to her apartment. Uh, she, parked in her, she parked in her spot, walked to her apartment, noticed that she couldn't get her door to unlock, but she was able to open the door. And uh, when she walks in, she saw someone sitting in the, on the furniture and so, according to her, she asked the person to, you know, show show her their hands. And, uh, you know, according to her, um, they didn't. And so she ended up shooting that person, and that person died. Uh, the name of the person that died, his name is Botham Botham Jean. Um, and so, what ended up happening was, um, she was actually, I think, a Dallas City police officer. She was a Dallas City police officer. Um, she was just finished a 13-hour shift. She was coming home late, and. Um, you know, and you can you can read the details of the trial. You can read the details of, of what you know what her testimony was, what the testimony of the prosecution was. But essentially, um, she would actually parked in the wrong spot. I guess in the apartment building had tiers, and there were parking spots on different levels, and people in different apartments, and she happened to park on the wrong one. And so when she parked on the wrong one, she immediately, instinctively went to the apartment she thought she was in, which was actually the apartment above her. Um, the reason the door didn't open was because it wasn't her apartment, but for some reason the door opened. And so when she saw somebody inside, she, she claims, well, I thought someone was in my apartment uh, and I acted in self-defense and she shot that person and the person died. And so the person died, she tried to, she tried to perform CPR, she tried to perform first aid, um, but the person did pass away. Um, and this whole thing um, that happened in Dallas, it opened up a whole can of worms, right? And, and, and we hear this all the time, you know, the man, the man was African American, so you know, the people were saying, "Well, she only shot him because he was African American. If he was anybody else, she probably would have taken him into custody or she would have figured it out." Um, people were talking about, like, you know, the police—they're not trained to do things peaceably. They were—they were, they were mad at the police department for, uh, you know, almost destroying the crime scene. There's a lot of things that were going on that people were just angry about, and it tends to happen um, when these things happen. But the point of the story that I'm trying to get to is. You know, eventually she gets she gets found guilty. She's found guilty of, of murder, I believe, and they're trying her. And um, after, they're, after they've laid, they after they they given the sentencing. You know, there's a portion where the families or friends can come and they can address the the person that is being that is being is being charged. And so in this case, um, the brother of this guy comes in, and uh, and you might have seen this. And I think it went it went it went viral for a lot of Christian websites because of this portion. But the brother was. Uh, he goes up. He's speaking, and later he claims he didn't know he was being recorded. He literally was just saying it because that's what he wanted to say. Um, but he tells her, "If you are truly sorry, you know, I know I can speak for myself. I forgive you, you know." And he asks the judge, "Can I give her a hug?" And the judge says, "Okay." And so he gives her a hug, and they embrace. And he just tells her, "I forgive you." And then later they interviewed him, and he said that, uh, "You know, my Christian, you know, my, I'm a Christian, and, and, and forgiveness is the anchorship of which I hold to." And he was saying, "You know." I would want her to find salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he made it clear, like, I, I forgive her because I'm a Christian. I forgive her, and I wish for her to become a Christian. And actually, I, I was doing some reading too, and um, even the judge, the judge hugged her, and the judge gave her a Bible and gave her some things to look over. And you know, they, and their whole thing was, even though this happened, even though you know, there's people in this world that are going to hate you for the rest of their lives, they were, they were wanting them to say, we don't hate you. We as Christians do not hate you, and we actually wish for you to come to the same knowledge that we have, which is that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we believe in his redemptive work. And so there's this powerful moment where they had every right to do whatever they wanted in that moment, and he chose to do the thing that he thought would bring more glory to God. He chose to exercise his citizenship in a way that would be beneficial for the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and, and again, I, I, I never come up here and say these things to say that I'm doing things the, the right way and you guys, need to, I, I'm no way. But you know, this is something that I like to remind myself and I hope that it'd be encouraging to remind others is again, when we go out, do people know, A, where our citizenship lies? And if they do, well, how do they think about our citizenship? Do they think about it in a positive way or in a negative way? And so again, I would say, you know, read this portion you know, this idea of we want to be of one mind, this idea that we want to imitate Christ, we want to imitate other people that we know are doing what they're supposed to be doing, and we want to exercise that that heavenly citizenship. Uh, let's pray. Father God, we just come before you and we give you thanks. Father, it's it's amazing to know that even though um, we are a lost and, and sinful creature, Father, that you would have a desire to send your son to come to this earth to, to give of his life, in order for us to to be given eternal life, Father. It's a free gift that you give, and the only thing you ask, Father, is for us to to come to this idea of repentance, to come and to come before you and admit that we can't do it by ourselves, and to declare that we need the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Allow us as a group of believers to to cling to that, to to be of one mind, to work towards that idea of being perfect in which we're complete, and not lacking because we have everything we need in our Lord Jesus Christ. We just give you thanks, Father, for all that you have done and ask that you continue to, to show us your character and who you are that we may be, continue to further praise you when we need to. We give you thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.